But the tactical thing I want to mention is how he found 60 single-family houses and 12 multifamily units is by working with REO companies and getting deal flow through them. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with SmartMove's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to TenantScreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion SmartMove, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. This is Follow Along Friday. Theo Hicks, I learned a whole lot last week during these interviews. And as a reminder, best ever listeners, the purpose of Follow Along Friday is to pull out some insights that we learned in this case, I did the interviews last week. So I learned last week and share them with you as a sneak peek. And also so that you can, should you choose to start applying them sooner since these interviews that I did this past week will go live probably in four or five months from now where that booked out. So Theo, you want to just want me to go ahead and get into it? Yep. Just jump right into those lessons. Yeah. All right, cool. Holy cow. His name is Angad Gwani. (laughs) What an impressive human being from a real estate standpoint. I met him through this interview, so I don't have any pre-existing relationship with him. He's a 24-year-old real estate investor based in New York City. And as a, a sophomore at NYU, he identified a need for a student-run brokerage. So he went out, got his brokerage license, and he and some friends were leasing apartments to fellow NYU college students and I'm sure other college students. He was making six figures a summer for three months of work. Six figures. I have a hard time putting myself in that place when I was at Texas Tech as a sophomore having an idea for a business and then earning 
over $100,000 for three months worth of work. I mean, just an incredible entrepreneur. I asked him how much did he have by the end of his senior year, how much was in his bank account? And he said it was between two hundred and fifty dollars to $350,000. Wow. As an undergrad who just got their degree, this person had over $250,000 in his bank account and he had a college degree. I mean, just so impressive. So one is if you are in college and you're looking to create a business, well, this is a potential opportunity. He capitalized on the New York City market and the way it's structured where you got to go through a broker to get an apartment. I know having lived in New York City, New York City's its own animal. So perhaps this exact strategy won't be applicable to best ever listeners who are in college looking to create something. But it's just inspirational at, at minimum. It's inspirational. Perhaps some tactical components need to be reconfigured, but just incredibly inspirational. But here's a tactical thing that he talked about for how he has since then, surprise, surprise, grown his portfolio, he's 24 years old, to 60 single family units, 12 multifamily units. So I should say 60 single family houses, 12 multifamily units, and a self storage facility. And the self storage facility, I was like, Tell me about it. He's like, well, it sounds more impressive than it is. It's 20 garages, 4,000 square feet. It's like, that's impressive. That's very impressive. He bought that for $120,000 and he found it on the MLS. And he talks about that during the interview. So I won't go into that. But the tactical thing I want to mention is how he found 60 single family houses and 12 multifamily units is by working with REO companies and getting deal flow through them. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to ask you which companies you're getting deal flow from because that gets into your competitive advantage. And I I don't want to steal your thunder on that. But the question I have is if you were starting over and you didn't have the current relationships that you have with REO companies, how would you go about replicating this process? And he said that an attorney helped him get connected to the REO company. So he said what he would do is he'd focus on networking with attorneys, telling them what he's looking for and seeing if they have any connections he can give them. He said another tactical thing you can do is by looking at the deeds and the mortgages and see who's selling a lot of stuff on the county website, who's selling a lot of stuff. And if they're selling a lot of stuff, they might be an REO entity. So those are two tactical things that anyone can do to identify these REO companies that might be a good lead source for him to buy directly from. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going to work back on my comments on this one. Cause so that last going on uh, the auditor site and looking at the season mortgages, I remember all the way back. And I guess when I was close to his age, I did that for Cincinnati. And so I know there's a, a way to do it for all counties, but for Cincinnati in particular, you can get access to the back end of the auditor site. So you can download essentially every single property in Cincinnati and so in this case, you would just filter it by, they actually have recent sales too. So you just download the recent sales and filter it by the name of the, the person selling the property and just see, okay, well, this person sold 50 properties in the past month. Maybe they're an REO company. Maybe they're just a, a big owner who's selling properties too. It's not just necessarily REO companies. And then going back to the school one, it's funny because, not funny, but it's interesting because most people will, will graduate with as much money that he had in his bank account in debt. So it's like he did the exact yeah. opposite of what you typically should do. But it's for me, and, and I was in chemical engineering, so I'm sure I probably spent a lot of time on school compared to maybe other majors, but I still had so much free time. 
that uh-huh. I spent on doing stupid things <laughs> that I could have spent on obviously doing something like this. And so I know, I'm not sure if people think this or not, but they might think, oh, well, I am a full-time student. How am I going to have time to do this? But if you really think about it, I mean, you've got way more time when you're in college than when you do when you actually graduate and get a real job. So it's definitely possible. And as you mentioned, this is pretty specific to New York. I didn't realize that you had to have a broker represent you to lease an apartment. But yeah, this is kind of more just inspiration to get the wheels turning in your mind to think of there are ways you can add value as a real estate investor to college students because every college student's renting, looking for a place to live. I mean, you can even be like some sort of consultant the same way, even though it's not a requirement. Um, so things like that. So yeah, no, this, this guy sounds like he's very smart, very entrepreneurial, and obviously it's working out for him. I believe it was the book, Things I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. It's written by a Ivy League professor, and she talks about different things that she wished she knew when she was 20. I believe is this book. She mentions that she gives her students a challenge at the beginning of the year to make as much money as possible with, say, $100. So she gives them $100 and like, okay, go. It's an entrepreneurial class. Go make as much money, create a business, and whoever makes the most money wins, and there's like other prizes too. And some people created a business around selling gadgets around campus. Others did laundry services and stuff. But the winning team that earned the most money, I think it was a shorter period of time than the year. I think it was about a month. The winning team that earned the most money actually did something ingenious. And that is they sold the time that they had to present to their fellow students, their business plan and their business. So instead of creating a business, they simply identified a company within that area that would love to have a captive college student audience for 30 minutes. And then they sold their time to that business and that business presented to the students. Hmm. And as a result, they got access to the students and the students earned the most money that had that idea. So along the lines of, hey, on God's business, if you're not in New York City, that exact business might not work, but it's the mindset of how do we maximize the resources that we currently have available. That's what this is all about. And that's uh, that example really came to mind whenever I, when I was thinking about on God. So second thing, Felipe Mejia, he's an entrepreneur. He scaled from $3,000 mobile home park to owning 10 units now based in Nashville, Tennessee. I want to mention two things about my conversation with Felipe. One is that he had a six unit that he has now sold and it was in a college town. And one thing that he did to increase the value, he bought it for 120,000 and two years later, he more than doubled it in value. He sold it for $260,000. So actually two things, I'll give you two things that he did, and then I have another lesson learned from him. One is he changed it from tenants to the amount of beds that you can have within the residence. So he didn't focus on how many tenants should I have. He focused on how many, well, I I, I guess I'm saying it incorrectly. He added more beds in the house. So he added two more beds in the house. And as a result, he started charging per person instead of per bedroom, I guess is the proper way to say it. So he literally made the living room a place where two more people could live. So one, he changed it from a per bed bedroom to a per bed. 
two is, and this is what I, I thought was really interesting, is he had relationships with local vendors, and those vendors would send leads his way because they're popular spots for college students, and in exchange, he would send his residents to those vendors. Some specific vendors, there is a Mexican restaurant, a place called Grandma's Pancakes, and a local coffee shop, and he would put in the welcome packet for his residents when they moved in, he'd put these cards that the vendors gave him or these restaurants gave him, and the residents would show the cards to the restaurants whenever they arrived, and then they'd get exclusive discounts as a result of living at his place. So it was a win-win. I did something like this for one of my properties where I reached out to a local businesses. I had a card that I printed out, and surprisingly, it was challenging for me to get local businesses on board and offer discounts in general, but also I'd like to offer discounts that weren't publicly available. But I went to tanning booths or tanning salons. I went to a, a pet groomer. I went to payday loan company. They were very interested. They were actually the most engaged. Surprise, surprise. Went to restaurants. And for some reason, maybe my approach wasn't the right approach or maybe the market wasn't right or something, but I didn't have that much success. However, from a percentage standpoint, however, from the couple of companies that I did connect with, Dickie's Barbecue was one of them that they were really on board because there's an entrepreneurial guy who owned that franchise location. The couple of them that were on board, they really helped me have selling points for residents who wanted to move into that apartment community. And it was a win-win. So I've done this approach. It might take more effort than you initially think, but it was a good use of the team's time to create something like this especially if you have a, a smaller size apartment building and you're not looking to do this in multiple locations, or maybe it's actually, if you have one location, geographic location that you're looking to do and where you own a lot of properties, then that's good. If you are spread out across multiple markets, then it might not be an effective use of your time because it just takes a whole lot of time to do it. But what my experience, it was worth it. I'll stop there. Theo, do you have any comments there? Well, yeah, I was going to say, do you know if you had pre-existing relationship with any of these companies or did he just reach out to them kind of randomly? He, he went to the Mexican restaurant a whole lot, he said. So they might've known him, but I, I don't think he had a pre-existing relationship with them in a formal capacity. Okay, I just care. I'm sure that would probably be helpful. So if, I mean, if you're trying to input this strategy, just think of the places you just go to frequently and then just bring that up in the natural course of the conversation if you're talking to the owner or whatever. True uh, that. Yeah. But I, I was going to mention something else. Because we, we were talking about this, I think it was on Follow Along Friday. It might have been when we were discussing someone who had a question about buying a smaller apartment that didn't have any amenities on site around like a bunch of massive apartment communities that have top-notch business and things like that. We talked about you can leverage the local businesses like fitness centers, movie theaters, whatever, and try to get discounts from them. And then you can present your property, as I think what you said, like a, like a, like a luxury experience without the luxury price. So the fitness center isn't here, but because of that, your rent's going to be lower. But we also got discounts at this coffee shop, this movie theater, this tanning salon, this whatever. So that's like kind of another way that, that you said you can present this type of concept to your residents as well. Yeah, we're actually buying a property right now that fits into that category where there is a fitness center on site. However, literally right next door, 
there's a state-of-the-art fitness facility and the management has negotiated an only an $8 per month membership fee for those residents. And that is an exclusive arrangement that our property has with the fitness center. And I think that more stuff like that, you know, exclusive perks, because then you, you start moving away from being a commodity and you start differentiating your apartment community in a way that others can't compete because you're not going back and forth on price. You're actually talking about these additional amenities and relationships that they don't have. One other thing I'll say about the interview with Felipe, this reminds me of the example you've brought up a couple times, Theo, of the gentleman who looked for properties that had busted foundation. And he would actually seek them out and he had a solution for it where others would run away. In this example, Felipe talks about how he noticed that the homes in a certain area had a double garage. They're two-story and the downstairs was a double garage. And he would convert that double garage into three additional bedrooms. And he had three bedrooms, a kitchen and a bathroom that he'd convert the double garage into and he rents it out to construction workers. So the house has, I think upstairs it'd have three bedrooms, downstairs it'd have a double garage. Well, now it'd have three bedrooms upstairs and downstairs it'd have three additional bedrooms and he rents it out on a per bedroom basis. So just looking for situations in our market where there's opportunity to reconfigure the layout of a property. And if you identify a bunch of homes that have a similar configuration and you have a certain business model like that, then you have the opportunity to make twice as much cash flow as someone else. And the same thing can technically apply to apartments too. I mean, obviously there's demand for those larger units, but if you're in a market where you find an apartment that's got massive units and the kind of the dollar per square foot doesn't necessarily make sense and you can just convert that to two bedrooms instead of one bedroom and get way more money. It, it, it obviously depends. Same thing with an extra living space that might not necessarily be in demand in that market, converting that into a bedroom or keeping it the same, kind of, again, depending on the market. Jamil Damji, he is an investor based in Phoenix, Arizona, specializes in, in wholesaling, and they do over 70 wholesale deals a month. And their business model is to be the wholesaler's wholesaler. When a wholesaler has an opportunity, cannot find a buyer, they go to Jamil's group and Jamil's group has a list of 80,000 buyers with a 30% open rate who he and his team send it out to. So the business model is not to be as focused or nearly as focused as finding the opportunities, but more focused on having a buyer's list that is robust and being the solution to wholesalers' challenges if they don't have buyers for their properties. So clearly, I had to hone in on how did he create a list of 80,000 buyers with a 30% open rate when he sends out an opportunity. And he says he thinks of themselves as a tech and data company, surprise, surprise. And they have a two-step process. One is his business partner has a software background So he has a software that they created that scrapes social platforms and the internet for a list of potential people who might be 
qualified buyers. So think of accredited investors. They look for that type of person. And then Jamil's team will actually personally reach out to these people and send them a note through that platform. And he talks about what that note says. I I didn't write that down in my notes, but he sends them a message, an intro message. And just by sure volume of the amount of messages through that software platform that they initially find all these leads, they get a lot of people to say, yes, I'd be interested in being on your list. And he'll search for hashtag AZ doctor, for example, AZ doctor, Arizona doctor. He'll search for lawyers, he'll search for accountants, Facebook groups. They'll see what you have liked and map that back to if you'd be a likely real estate investor. So just one, having a business that is a solution for other people in your industry who could be perceived as competitors. That's interesting to me. So that can be applied to any business. So one, quick, think of all your competitors. Two, how could you actually be of service to them so that they pay you for your services? That could lead to some interesting stuff. That's what he did. And then two is the one-two approach that he and his team take to building that big list. One is you write a software. Two is you have individuals reach out to these people. Is business partner doing it or do they have VAs doing these personal Yeah, it, it yeah. sounded like he, they had an army of VAs. <laughs> I was going to say, I could imagine sending 80,000 messages to people, but no, that, that's definitely... Well, eight, it's, it's 80, so 80,000 people on the buyer's list, that's an email that gets sent out. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If, if, if there's 80,000 people on the buyer's list, good point, then they probably sent out half a million personal messages. I think on MailChimp, the average open rate for a real estate category, and this is just MailChimp, is like... 10% maybe. Mm-hmm. So they're three times what it usually is. So obviously that personal touch them and rather than just stopping at step one and saying, okay, well, here's who we want to target. Mm-hmm. And then kind of just like creating content and sending it out and hoping they see it. They proactively just go after that one specific person and send them a message. And obviously that seems to be working out. So I bet that's a very interesting interview. If he goes into specifics on how he's finding these people on, on Facebook, using the hashtags, whatever software that he's writing. Obviously not every single person is going to be able to write the software, but everyone can navigate the Facebook, the Twitter, the LinkedIn search function. It might take a little bit extra time, but again, it sounds like they're using VAs and 30% open rate is pretty amazing. It is. And I asked him, do you send that list anything other than deals? He says, no. He said, I absolutely don't. And that's how we approach our private investor list. I don't send them anything other than opportunities. There has been one exception where I asked them for thoughts on the book that we're writing. What would they want in that book? Because we're writing the book for them to help them on how to think about passively investing in apartment Mm -hmm. communities. But besides that, I don't believe I've ever sent an email to my private investor list about anything other than opportunities that we have available. Cool. And then lastly, Jason Parker, he is an investor in Seattle, Washington, but he's also a financial advisor with a focus on retirement planning. And I enjoy talking to people who aren't exclusively focused in real estate so that we get a broader perspective. And one thing he says when he sits down with potential clients, he asks them, what is the purpose of your money and why do you have it? And when he was asking that question, I was like, man, that's a good question. (laughs) What is the purpose of my money and why do I have it? And I thought about it a little bit, not a whole lot since then. And 
I view money as simply a tool to exchange and to help build lifestyle and do things with. It's not powerful to me. It's simply a tool. And by thinking of it as a tool, it allows me to feel good about value exchanges. It allows me to invest in myself by going to a Tony Robbins program. And it's just a tool to help me become a better person in that example or give to all the nonprofits we give to at bestevercauses.com. So I think it's just an important question to ask ourselves. What is the purpose of our money and why do we have it? And I don't know what the right answer is, but it hit me as something that is a question or two questions that we should ask ourselves. So I just wanted to make note of it. I see out here, not too concerned about leaving the kids. He's saying not concerned about leaving, but his purposes isn't so he can give his kids a bunch of money. Yeah. So you're looking at some notes that I had yeah, during yeah. the conversation. And he said that his potential clients, when he asked them that, they tend to not be too concerned about leaving money to their kids. They want to have the same standard of living that they're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, you know what? We've done what we needed to do for our kids. And at this point, kids, you got to make it happen or not. So generally, that's the sentiment from mm-hmm. his potential clients. That's interesting because you hear a lot of times that people's goal is to legacy, family, wealth, leave money to their kids. And I only have a four-month-old, five-month-old, so it might change, but I'm definitely on board with this guy. You can probably talk about that for hours, so you can move on. Cool. All right. And I think that's all. That's all I wanted to okay. mention on that. Those are really good lessons. I really like the college guy. It, it just reminded yeah. me back to when I was in school, and I did a few things, nothing like this, but I was slightly entrepreneurial while I was I'm in college to make, make some money just because I didn't have anything and I didn't want to work a, reg- a regular job <laughs> at that time. Colleen and I were on our walk the day after I did these interviews and, and I was like, and he had $300,000 in bank account after he graduated college. I was, like, so, <laughs> I was just so blown away. Still um, very impressive. All right. Well, let's move on to the trivia question. So this is the Jeopardy month. So last week, the question was, the U.S. state that is home to the two cities that have the lowest cost of living. The answer was, what is Texas? Oh, Texas. So the two cities, let me know if you recognize these, Harlingen and McAllen. Yeah, Harlingen's by the border. I think they're both by the border. Okay. The cost of living was 20% below the national average Mm -hmm. and way below the highest, which was obviously New York. All right, this week's question is Yardy Matrix. They're a real estate research company just released their biannual rental growth information. So this week's answer is the U.S. city with the highest year-over-year rent growth as of June 2019, 8.4%. So, so what's the question? What is that city? Say that again. The U.S. city with the highest year-over-year rent growth as of June 2019, and the number is actually 8.4% rent growth in 12 months. Okay, so in the last 12 months trailing June, so from mm-hmm. June to June. Yeah. Oh, U.S. city with the highest rent growth, 8.4%. Oh, I'll go Orlando. Orlando. So the first person to get that answer correctly, you can either submit your answer in the YouTube comments, or you can send an email to info at Joe Farrellis, who will get a copy of our first book. And then lastly, the free apartment indication resource of the week. I actually just 
finished recording the last series of the first part of syndication school, which goes over the entire process. So we just talked about how to sell your deal. That'll be coming out next week. And then we're going to go back over syndication school and just go into more detail on some of those episodes, some of those steps. But anyways, we give away free documents for syndication school. So we're highlighting those on follow on Friday at the end. This week's free document we're going to highlight is from series number 10, which is how to structure the GP and the LP compensation. That starts at episode 1597. I believe it's a two-part series, so 1597, 1598. First, let me go over how to structure the compensation for the dental partner, so how the GP makes money. And then the next one is how you as a syndicator can structure the compensation with your limited partner. And to help you with that, we are giving the free document is the LP decision tree, so the LP structure decision tree. So it's basically a series of yes or no questions that you answer and based off of the answer to a previous question, I'll ask another question and, and ultimately you'll, you'll land on what's the ideal partnership structure with your investors, whether that's debt, equity, preferred return, profit split, what the number should be, things like that. So you can download that in the show notes of a 1597 and 1598 or in the show notes of this follow on Friday. Well, very valuable resources and they're free. So definitely if you're in the industry or want to be in the industry, take advantage of that. Best ever listeners, I hope you enjoyed this and most importantly got a lot of value from it and we will talk to you tomorrow. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.